It's been a week since the regular Thousands Wednesday. are joining a non-stop religious revival that started nearly two weeks ago at Asbury University. And since then, one student told CBN has to keep promoting this revival will encourage Asbury is now in its sixth night as hundreds of people have come from near and This is We're excited to bring you a special series of This is Asbury. In February 2023, the Asbury University community, along with tens of thousands of people from around the world, experienced something special in Wilmore, Kentucky, what many are calling a revival, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a move of God that is still shaping a generation of students and rewriting the story in so many lives. Even though it's almost midnight, this auditorium is still estimated well over 3,000 people that are here to worship the Lord. God moved among this generation in a powerful way that we have yet to fully understand. Our deep desire is to see a life-transforming renewal of our younger generations to faithfully serve the difficult and dark places in the world and to be light. Lives were changed and the effects of the outpouring continue today, more than one year later. Maybe we were the candle and now we're just passing that flame. They know this is a gift that they have received. We are going to charge them with, okay, now you take this. In this special series of our podcast, Asbury University's Vice President of Student Life, Reverend Dr. Sarah Baldwin, will share behind-the-scenes stories from the faculty, staff, and students at Asbury and how they witness firsthand God changing the lives of countless people from our own community and far beyond and what has happened since those remarkable 16 days in Hughes Auditorium. The world needs this kind of love. Your mom and dad need this kind of love. The teammates on your team, Wilmore, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, the United States needs this kind of love. Revive us by your love. Welcome to This is Asbury. Were you prepared for this? No, there is no, there's no playbook for what's happening here. Welcome to This is Asbury. I'm your host, Abby Lobb, and this is the first of several special episodes we are producing for you that share more deeply about firsthand account stories of the outpouring more than a year ago. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Abby. A lot of people have heard about the outpouring, of course, also known as the revival. There's been a lot of media coverage, but this is a really great chance for Sarah and other people in our community just to talk about really what happened. But I'm really excited to bring these stories to listeners. These were stories I had not heard before because you were there before all the social media, before the actual media showed up. There was so much happening in that first day or two leading up to those 16 days in Hughes. So what can people expect, Sarah? We're going to talk today about the first hours of when God showed up in such an extraordinary Way. We'll hear from student testimonies and we'll get staff eyewitness accounts. We're going to jump into the behind the scenes of what was happening in Hughes on February 8th. There's just not even words to describe it. The Lord working on my heart and sanctifying me that my hands were able to go from those white knuckled fists of holding on to those open free hands of surrender. The veil right now between where we are and between heaven is incredibly thin and it's like we could reach out and we could touch the spirit. There's times when I pray that a message would fall on us like an itchy sweater. When you get an itchy sweater, you have to do something about it. You gotta itch it, you gotta take it off, and you gotta deal with it. The Holy Spirit fell on us, and there was this moment when the gospel choir eventually came down. 
And all that I could hear was the people at the altar crying and praying for each other. And we as a community were falling down right there. We're not holy. We're not worthy. And he was grabbing us and pulling us a little bit deeper in. Let's first hear from Lena Marlowe. She was a student leading worship with the Asbury Gospel Choir in chapel on February 8th. Here's Lena's first sense that something is happening. If you got to ask your neighbor just to scoot out the way so you can have a little room just to praise God, go ahead and do that right now. I deeply sense first like an obedience to stay. I think there's something that was really sweet and genuine and pure about the first like 15 or 20 students that stayed the first like hour of just contending and worshiping. I think God really honors our obedience when he asks us to just like stay and contend. But I would say like after obedience, it was really just like laying down our burdens and our sins and asking each other for forgiveness. And I think that was a really major part the next couple of hours when more students came. It kind of looked like everyone was in their own bubble, in their own world. And after they came out of their bubble, it's not like they just left. Previous moments in chapel in my four years, there were moments where people did stay after chapel. This wasn't the first time that people have stayed, but usually they got what they needed from the Lord or they were able to go to the altar or talk to somebody and then they just went straight back into their routine or their classes or lunch or whatever meetings. But this time it felt like it was a shared experience, like it wasn't individual. And so after after they met with God individually, people went to one another. They shared joy with one another. They were grieving with one another. They were worshiping with one another, talking with one another. It was shared. It was communal. I would say that was kind of the second wave as I described to people. And then the third wave was an immense celebration and joy and freedom. And I bet there's thousands of videos, probably millions of videos, where there was people bringing in different guitars, students bringing in water bottles, mattresses. Once all of these things are shared, you don't want to leave the space because the Lord, the Holy Spirit, God, they represent family and they represent unity. When you experience that freedom and just the joy, you don't want to leave that space. Another student, Jesse Thompson, tells about her encounter with the spontaneous movement of God in this way. Hi, I'm Jesse Thompson. I'm from Wilmore, Kentucky, and I'm an actuarial mathematics major. Well, Jesse, I'm really looking forward to getting to hear your story of the outpouring. And let's go back to the beginning, to that very first day. How did you first hear that something was happening in Hughes? I remember that morning. I actually was studying for an exam, so I didn't wind up sitting in chapel in person. I actually watched it on the live stream. I was sitting in my room working on homework, kind of watching the live stream, and I had this thought in my head that was just, what if today something happened? Thinking about it now, I'm like, the Lord was just kind of giving me a little nudge. But in that moment, I was just like, oh, that's hilarious. Like, definitely not. But there was just this little tug. What if? today something began. I kind of pushed it to the side, started going about my day to classes. So I wasn't really looking at my phone. I wasn't checking anything until I was going into my class at 1 p.m. I looked down and I see just tons of texts on my phone. And I was thinking to myself, what could possibly be going on that I'm getting this meant? This is a very unusual amount of texts that I'm getting from people. I just start opening them up and it's just people saying, get to Hughes. 
chapel hasn't stopped. People are still worshiping. You need to be there right now. I remember walking into my classroom and just saying to my professor, hey, I don't know if you've heard anything, but I keep getting messages from friends saying that chapel hasn't stopped since it started this morning. He was kind of like, oh, I, I haven't heard anything about that. And I was like, do you think maybe we could go check it out? And he just said, no, we have to do class, which I completely understood. But I just remember sitting there so anxious because I felt this urge to get to Hughes. Class felt incredibly long and I was just ready to get out of there as soon as it was 1.50 at that point. I just remember grabbing all of my stuff and I started running towards Hughes. I was coming around the front kind of where you see the steps that go up to the top and I just glanced up and I saw a really good friend of mine who's standing up by the doors at the top and I remember calling out her name and just booking it as fast as I could up those stairs to reach her and she led me inside and I remember there's the foyer and then the doors as you enter into the chapel and I remember crossing that threshold and it was just like the only thing I've been able to partially equate it to is feeling like you're stepping through a waterfall. I mean, it was that stark difference of dry to absolutely soaked and soaked with the spirit. Stepping into that space and just looking around at all of my peers, seeing their faces and backs and seeing them linked arms with each other, hugging one another, just absolutely pouring out their hearts in praise to the Lord. I just remember turning to my friend and just crying because I had never experienced or seen something so beautiful and so moving. Jesse, even as you're telling this story, and I've heard it a hundred times probably (laughs) by now. It gives me chills. And I agree. There was something about stepping into that space that felt immersive. Your story of running up the steps of Hughes has become iconic. (laughs) It's become this little story that we all tell (laughs) about the student who ran to Jesus up the steps. And that was really what the students were doing in their hearts or perhaps actually running like you. Can you describe more about the rest of that first day or two and what was happening with students What were they experiencing in more detail? The word that I think I have to apply is just an urgency, a desire to just be in the presence of Jesus. When you were in Hughes, you just knew that you were sitting with Jesus. And I was talking to somebody. She was just telling me, you know, we're in a thin space. And the the veil right now between where we are and between heaven is incredibly thin. And it's like we could reach out and we could touch the Spirit. He was so near. I think we were just really aware of that. And we were aware that this is a really unique opportunity. For most of us, we've never felt that ripping of the veil, that absolute intimacy with Jesus. And so I think there was a hunger and an urgency for people to be in that space. And I remember some of my favorite parts just from those first couple days. It was pretty much all Asbury students, which was just really special. It felt like a really sacred space that was really safe for all of us. My name's Asher Broughton. Uh, I'm a junior here at Asbury University, and I'm a pre-medical student. My original hometown is Maysville, Kentucky. And I remember hearing and just seeing texts on my phone from my friends who said, something really cool is happening in the chapel still. You should come swing by when you have a chance. In my mind, I thought, okay, I've got class now. I've got lunch now. I'll see when I can make time. I had about a 30-minute break in my day, and I remember thinking, okay, I'll just go in, see what's happening, check it out, and then I'll leave in 20-ish minutes to go make it in time for my class. As soon as I kind of stepped in the room, I just immediately was hit just with a presence and just something that was so different about the room. I remember just walking in, seeing probably 
probably at this point about 150 or 200 people, all my peers and students just worshiping and praising the Lord. I didn't have the words. I was just overwhelmed for a second. I took a seat by myself and I just wanted to kind of sit in there for a second. I remember very distinctly the first words that were spoken to me during the outpouring were by a really good friend of mine and he came up to me. He had tears in his eyes and I was so confused at first. He just looked me in my eyes and he said, Asher, I don't know why the Lord is telling me this, but he's telling me to tell you that you just need to let it go. And he just, he hugged me and he just started to cry on my shoulder and he just repeated these words of just let it go, let it go, let it go over me time and time and time again. I asked him after a few times, I'm like, what do I need to let go? What is it? What did he tell you? And he said, I don't know what that is, but I know that's what the Lord told me to tell you. For about the next hour, I was very confused. I kind of just sat in a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation and my heart posture was just, Lord, I want to take this next step with you, but I can't do this by myself. You have to show me what it is. You have to reveal to me what you want me to let go. Whether that was a lot of guilt and shame from my past for a lot of past sins and just such a different drastic lifestyle that I lived before, or whether it was just such a fear of giving up control over my future, what I thought the Lord had for me. And I remember it took about an hour that I just kind of got a nudge by the Holy Spirit to just go up to the altar. And as soon as my knees fell to the altar, I just started bawling and I just was an emotional wreck. I just remember just being so overwhelmed by those feelings of like guilt and shame from the past and my sins, like so overwhelmed by holding on to burdens that the Lord wanted to take off my back. There was a moment where one of my friends, he was praying over me and he said, Asher, open your hands. And I opened up my eyes for the first time and my fists were just white knuckled from just being so tense and just curled up, not being able to physically open it up and let it go. And I said in my head, I said, Asher, open your hands. Why can't you open your hands? And in that moment, I just physically couldn't. I couldn't. My body would not let me open my hands. And I just was able to see physically after five minutes, after 10 minutes, after 15 minutes, just prayer of just the Lord working working on my heart and sanctifying me that my hands were able to go from those white knuckled fists of holding on to those open free hands of surrender. And that just marked me for the start of the outpouring, just not being able to be in there at the time when it started, but the Lord still meeting me in the exact way that I needed and still just saying, Asher, there is work I want to do in your heart and there is work that needs to be done. That's what he did. He changed me. Okay, you just heard from Asher Broughton, three different students all experiencing God showing up in a really unusual way. Now, Zach Mirkreeps was the preacher of the day. Zach at that time was a volunteer assistant soccer coach, although he'd been involved in ministry in various churches. He also did ministry on our campus with athletes. Zach is really well-loved already by our students. Here's what Zach has to say about February 8th. It was kind of disorienting because once I got to sermon prep, I had preached three through eight and felt really confident about that message. When I was doing sermon prep for nine through 21, I was like overwhelmed by the amount of statements. It's such a meaty passage. And we were talking about love in action. When I was doing sermon prep, I kind of felt overwhelmed by the amount of directions on how to love authentically. You know, the first line, let your love be authentic. And then I think it's about 30 commands on how to do that. I was like, how do you do that in 20 minutes while also trying to be engaging as a chapel speaker? And I felt like the Lord allowed me to focus 
focus on. Like it's really hard, almost impossible to do, to love purely, authentically. So that was ultimately what my message was. And I started that morning not knowing exactly how the sermon would wrap up because I didn't really want to land at this like big old wet blanket of like, you can't do it. Good luck. See you guys. So the Lord led me to First John 4 about we can't love until we experience his love. We love because he first loved us. And that's where we went. And then I remember even as I've like gone over that sermon since the Lord really had me focus on authentic love. And that's when I first felt like the Holy Spirit was really piercing hearts in the room. You don't want to like manipulate it. You don't want to like force it, but when you feel it, and really I remember clear as day, there was a, a gal I knew who was on the women's soccer team who was like clearly emotional. I was talking about if you've experienced inauthentic love. If someone's called something love and it's not any of these things, then it's not love. It's fake and you shouldn't even call it love. And you could just see the Holy Spirit moving and piercing hearts. Honestly, I spent probably too much time there and didn't get to the end of my sermon. I clicked through my sermon slides and said, take a picture of this, contemplate it. I'll be here till 1.30 until I had coffee with a freshman. There was one thing you said that really caught my attention, and you said something about God's love being like an itchy sweater. Mm -hmm. Could you share that part again? Yeah, a prayer that I've prayed at times. I don't pray at every sermon. There's times when I've prayed that a message would fall on us like an itchy sweater. When you get an itchy sweater, you have to do something about it. You got to itch it. You got to take it off. You got to deal with it. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was moving on the concept of authentic love, and I just wanted them not to move on too quickly, that it would fall on them like an itchy sweater, that they'd have to do something about it. And when we invited them to stick around and do something about it or experience God's love and be filled with the Spirit, there was a number of students that took us up. Jeannie Banter, who is a pastoral presence on campus, is home with COVID on February 8th. So she doesn't get into Hughes until the next day. Jeannie, I want us to really start at the very beginning and walk through the events of those 16 days and hear your thoughts and experiences on it. But first, why don't you share who you are, your connection with Asbury, and what role you played during the outpouring? My name is Jeannie Banter, and I serve as the director of the Christian Life Project here at Asbury, and I've been here almost 10 years, so we came a week apart, Sarah, so that's yeah, so fun. Wow. To, we've really been in this work together, so that's a gift. And my role in the outpouring, I got to just be a steward of spiritual authority, but also preaching and leadership, along with a great team of people. Thankful and humbled to be a part of that team. Okay, so Jeannie, going all the way back to that very first day, February 8th. Now, you were not there February not 8th. There. Where were you at? What was going on? Um, I was in bed with COVID. Oh, so <laughs> I had tested positive the day before and was feeling pretty miserable, but was watching chapel online. At 1024, I got a text from our coworker, Liz Loudon, and it just said, I don't know if the students are aware, but the Spirit has come in a, in a fresh way. Before a word was ever preached, it was clear and evident that the Spirit was moving in a, in a new way. And so, of course, the live stream cut off at 11 and I'm like what's happening right because it's such a powerful message to receive the love of Jesus surely people are responding but then to have no communication because live stream went out and then I began to get texts from Liz and Maria and others who were like the spirit's moving students are responding and then just throughout the day to continue to get texts I tested negative that next morning which is a miracle in and of itself of that's God's kindness I think to bring me back into the room I remember walking in and I was going to meet my friend in the, in the balcony and yeah you just kind of walk in and you're like 
I don't have words, right? Like, how do you describe the presence of God? To be so clear that his spirit was there and moving and present. It's one of those, those things of, I, I want to sit, I want to stand, I want to fall on my face, but also there's work to be done. So it's kind of all of it at once. But it was just so clear that God was present. In those first 24 to 48 hours, our students began to gather and pray and confess and worship. Would you describe a sort of movement of God you saw in our students? What kind of testimonies were happening? Beautiful. I remember the first couple of students that I saw in that morning, just their faces. You can't describe the radiance of God, right, when when someone has encountered Christ. And I can understand now why Moses veiled his face, right, because they were so different than the students I had seen two days before. And I would say that well, that was true over the whole 16 days. And even since then, as students continue to encounter Christ, that's what we're seeing. And there's just a radiance of they had encountered a living Christ. I'll never forget that. Then just to see students who I know didn't have the best relationships coming beside one another and forgiveness and repentance and, you know, saying I'm sorry. Like those are two of the hardest words to say. And we were hearing it all across our room of people really saying, I've not loved you well. I've not loved you with the love of Christ. Then to hear, I'd say like a spirit of confession fell. I'd say that's still true today on our campus. Things were coming into the light and praise God. It was just the love of Christ compelling students, right? And it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's what we were seeing. It wasn't like a fear-based confession. It was, I love Jesus and I know that he loves me and I don't I don't want this in my life, right? When you encounter the holiness of Christ, I always thought you would be undone and you are, but it's his holiness that purifies us, right? And so it's that beautiful moment of, wow, in his holiness, I realize how human I am, but in my own humanity, I don't want my humanity anymore. I want him. I want his holiness. That's what we were seeing. You saw the reflection of the love of Christ on their face. The word that was coming to mind was phosphorescent. They're glowing. That's right. Like Moses, they were glowing. It's really powerful. Okay, so could you paint a picture of what did that look like? Were were students popping up here and there in the seats? Was someone directing them to stand and do testimonies? What did that look like? Yes to all the above. It was some of all of it. And I think in those first couple of days, it really was us as a team listening to one another and to the Lord of, okay, God, what do you have for us here? I don't remember what day it was. Days don't really make sense to me in those 16 days, but it really became clear that, okay, we're going to be about the word, worship, and the gospel and testimony. That is the markers of what this time will be together. And there was some spontaneity in that. There was some ordered structure, but always with, okay, Lord, whatever you have for us, we'll change and and go wherever your spirit leads. But those kind of became the markers of those 16 days of we're going to be in the word, we're going to share the gospel, we're going to worship, and we're going to give room for testimony. And sometimes it was more spontaneous than others. But there was a sense of, okay, we're going to discern together. And as the Lord leads, we know that these four markers will always be a part of it. And those four markers were a part of it because that is what we saw. That's right. That's That's what we experienced. Now, as things unfold, Jeannie, me, Zach, and a few others are going to become the outpouring core ministry team. Here's someone else that will be a part of that core team. Madeline, it's great to talk to you today. Would you introduce yourself, what role you had during that time at the university? And then also, what role did you play during the outpouring? 
For the last two years, I got the privilege of working at Asbury, but I worked as the chapel coordinator. That was my official role on staff at the university. And then during the outpouring, I just happened to find myself in this place from the very beginning, getting to work with my husband and others, just to really partner with what the Holy Spirit was doing in terms of orchestrating the teams, or really just listening to the Lord and seeing how he was putting together his teams. And I also found myself getting to serve with the leadership team, and it was just this really sweet moment of connection with the Lord for me on a personal level. And then it was just really sweet. It was maybe 50, 60 people in the room. And a lot of us were gathered at the front, kind of close to the piano on the left side of the stage. It wasn't like there was one person leading. It was super organic. And this person over here, a person over there would just start singing a song and the piano player would follow along. This person, another person would start singing another song and the piano would follow along. And it was very, very organic like that for quite a few hours until it seemed like there was a pivot in the day. And that was when our friend, our brother George, really started pioneering in a in worship. And in in that moment, it kind of shifted from this very quiet, sweet, intimate kind of worship to a collective joy, exuberance. It was as if heaven really touched us. Heaven Mm -hmm. and earth came together. Is that how it felt for you? Totally. That first day, I remember blinking, turning around, looking at the clock. It's like, oh, it's one o'clock. I turned around again a couple seconds later. It's 6.30 p.m. I turned around again oh my goodness, it's 10.30 p.m. It was as if every sense of time had faded, and I don't understand that, and that's okay. But that first day and the days after, my motto really became, this is the best day of my life until tomorrow. Best day of my life until tomorrow. Best day of my life until tomorrow, even though there was hard things, right? But to be in the presence of God, it was as if everything else lost its flavor. You don't have any words to put to it besides crummy metaphors, but it's like if you'd only ever seen in black and white and then the world comes into color. Or for me, I've always walked around the world just a little bit disappointed or a little bit frustrated about like, oh, it's not supposed to be this way. And I think no generation understands this more than Gen Z with COVID and everything that's happened in the world, especially in like the last five years. It's not hard to convince people like, hey, there's something wrong. There's a big issue. And we're made for so much more than this. Like we feel it deep in our souls, even if we aren't able to articulate it. We're made for so much more. And for me, as a TCK, like as a third culture kid, I think I've viscerally understood this feeling of homesickness. And in college, actually, I became very grateful for it because it's like, oh, I feel in my soul that this world is not our home and I'm longing for somewhere else. I'm longing for something else. Those 16 days were the closest taste that I've ever experienced. And I'm like forever ruined for anything else, right? Nothing else will even come close. And there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I feel like sums it up. But like when you find that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy, it's evidence that we're made for another world. And that was totally my experience and testimony of February. It was as if we had been seeing in black and white and then we were seeing in Technicolor. It was a transformative experience. And in the worship, particularly in those days in Hughes, and I know it was very similar in the simulcast sites in Wilmore. It was both the longest days and the shortest days. There is eternity in every moment, but we were experiencing it. We 
Well, we can't go any further without introducing President Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown not only is the president of the university, the fiduciary, but Kevin is about to guide the university through an onslaught of thousands of welcome but uninvited guests who show up on our campus. He's also going to face media pressure, risk management, and deep spiritual discernment. But on the first day, February 8th, he's just responding to what he's experiencing. I just lingered there and stayed with the students. And I I talk about how imaginative, like this kind of holy imagination our community has. But I contrast that with my lack of imagination because I just thought people will leave in the next hour. And someone had come up and said, I really think there should be an, an invitation to the school. And I was like, really? Finally, I went back to my office, wrote an email, something along the lines of, what a wonderful thing when people stay and pray and worship and testify. And that's precisely what's happened today. And as your schedule allows, you're invited to do the same. So after I sent that email, I walked back to Hughes. When I came back after I'd sent my email, that is when I really knew something different was happening. Yes, there were more people in the room, but I think that sensibility that this really is different emerged from something beyond that. Students were testifying at that point, which is always really powerful to me. Those testimonies were raw. What I mean by that is administrators were in the room, and yet students weren't editing what they were saying because it was just such a vulnerable, authentic expression, which told me that they really, really were just pouring out their heart. And that really moves me. And I remember at that time, this was maybe mid-afternoon, one of our staff members was walking up the aisle and she and I both met our eyes and we were both just crying. It's like, we knew this is special. And a moment later, a faculty member was walking over from the side and our eyes met and we were both crying like we just knew. And all three of us were just standing together in the back. We didn't say anything to each other, but there was just this shared understanding Something special is happening, and we just wanted to give it space. We do have students that linger after chapel every now and then, and more now. But over the years, that's not totally uncommon. But this was something happening. God was moving, and the students were responding. There's this really wonderful story that you tell about a student getting to chapel. There are so many images in my mind and that we've all shared related to the outpouring. This is one that I'll just never forget, and it was really powerful to me. So after I'd sent that email, if you know Asbury's campus, there's a semicircle at the front. That's where the administrative building is. I was walking down the front of our building, Hager, and about a football field to the right is Hughes Auditorium. And I saw one of our students who I know running up the stairs. She was running to get into the auditorium as fast as she could. And something about that just struck me as so powerful, powerful because of the moment, this zeal to get into this space, but also as a metaphor of the best of what we want for our students. We have all these outcomes that we measure when a student walks across the stage and we hand them a diploma that we want to say that we've equipped them with this formational experience But that, to me, speaks to their heart, their orientation. What do they love? What are are their affections aimed towards? And to see a student running to get close to the Christian community, running to Christ 
running to the cross, which is this counterintuitive thing in the Christian faith. We're running to a cross that represents death, but it's counterintuitive because Jesus says, those who lose their life for my sake, they find it. And that's something that we believe in this community. That was just a really beautiful picture to me and something I'll never forget. All afternoon and evening that Thursday, our students continue to arrive, and then we have some members of our faculty staff and the Wilmore community that show up. And then that evening, we begin to make some decisions, or maybe what we call perhaps the first of thousands and thousands of yeses. But could you share that story of what happened under Hughes Auditorium that evening? This speaks to how unimaginative I am. As I said, I knew something special was happening, but I also had this sense the next hour, everyone will probably leave. Well, the next hour, it will dissolve. Well, it's getting late, probably the next hour. David Thomas, who works with Seedbed, very well known in this area, who assisted us and was present from the very beginning, he came up to me and he said, Kevin, I really think Asbury should consider leaving Hughes open all evening. I was like, really? You think so? We we gathered some leaders who just happened to be there, yourself included, Sarah, and we just went to the basement of Hughes. And I loved how informal it was. So your daughter was with you, and I think we had our jackets on. We were just assessing with each other, like, what what do we think is happening right now? And so this question was raised again of, should we keep this open all night? And immediately you were like, yes, let's do it. And I'll take this shift, and I'm sure I can find people to take these other shifts. And that, that just immediately got scheduled, and that's precisely what happened. And you're right. That was the first of hundreds, thousands of little yeses that were offered in faith and then culminated in this just incredible experience outpouring that we, we never would have imagined. How amazing it is that we all shared a sense of the holiness and awe of what was happening. There was a real mutuality that God was doing something unusual and spontaneous with our students in Hughes. And that was demonstrated just by the constant and humble yeses from every vantage point. And we are a amiable bunch. We serve each other and serve Jesus well, I believe, here at Asbury. But we have our processes and we have our <laughs> our procedures and our way we do things. And we certainly don't just simply add huge events overnight on our campus. And uh, if we had set out to plan that ahead of time, I don't know that we would have. I mean, do you think that if God had told us, given us 24-hour notice or even a year's notice, what do you think we would have said? You've raised that question before, and I think it's such a great question to illustrate the point. We would have said no. I would have said no. It would have been so easy to identify hundreds of reasons why we shouldn't do something like that or why it wouldn't even matter because people wouldn't come. Or again, we could rationalize our way out of that so easily. But you're right, there was this really persistent sensibility that was shared among a large group of people to give order, but not orchestration, to get out of the way. 
and to see something unfold. And that's why I don't think I can ever fully convey to an outsider this this imagination, this holy imagination that characterizes the Asbury community. After the outpouring, one of our faculty members said, Asbury's like a riverbed. When water comes, it knows where to flow. And I thought that was just a perfect statement because for decades, this riverbed at Asbury has been fitted out by faithful men and women who have a high spiritual temperature, who do have a holy imagination, at great self-expenditure will make room at the table for others to share in that experience. And that is exactly what we saw. We just saw the best of our community. And I think it made all of these things viable. But from a rational standpoint, you're right. I think we would have said, oh, that could never happen. We can't do that. staff are arriving. The students are praying, worshiping, and testifying. What are they testifying about? Let's hear from Greg, the university pastor. For over 15 years, I've been associate dean of spiritual life, and that's kind of morphed in the last couple of years to carrying the title of university pastor. The gift of that role has given me a chance to walk really close to our chapel program, see all the flex kind of opportunities that come off alongside our chapel program, to get to work with a great team of staff that are invested in the discipleship of our students from small groups, banded discipleship, and mentoring to getting to have close working relationships with the service and mission that leaves from campus. All those things that are so at the core of shaping students to leave Asbury to serve the church and be ambassadors of the good news. Those first 20 to 30 minutes were a mixture of singing that became some of the very unproduced. There's no more technology supporting the microphones or the production from the piano or a guitar, along with some silence that just gave reflective space for those students that were praying. That really dominated probably the first at least 45 to 50 minutes. There was enough growing sense of what God was doing in students that one student before noon came forward and said, I'd like to give my testimony. I knew him well enough to respond and ask specifically what he would want to share, and it just became a very fitting testimony of hope back from his middle school years. And that was kind of a—that testimony was a small portion in this larger movement of music and silence. It sounds as though they talked it through with you as their pastor, but really it was spontaneous, right? There wasn't a call for testimonies. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit began to move and students responded. So responded in testimonies. Did that continue over the course of that day? That one was completely spontaneous. I don't recall when later in the day that that kind of window of student testimony opened back up. We definitely, I think by the end of the afternoon or early evening, between listening to one or two students that were ready to share and us sensing that multiple testimonies were stirring up, we're making more space for that. But it was a very spontaneous, student-initiated response in that rhythm of worship, silence, prayerfulness. It started emerging with student stories of experiencing God's transforming work that day. So it was happening in real time. They were experiencing God and then testifying to it. Absolutely. 
At what point did they begin to confess sin? That was a part of the outpouring, perhaps a big part. But how did you experience that in those first, perhaps even 24 to 48 hours? How did you see that movement of confession happen? Was it very individual? Did people get up and share a microphone? Or what did that look like? My initial experience with the confession was definitely at the altar. I think I heard that over and over from other altar ministers or people that were praying with students there as well. That became the space where there was confession of addictions, confession of pornography, confession of anger or bitterness or division in a relationship conviction of needing to reconcile, restore relationship. So those kind of things were happening predominantly at the altar, and then they became woven fairly quickly into those early testimonies. Zach, you got to have a front row seat to so many of our students. And then after Asbury students, students came from all over, from University of Kentucky, from Eastern University, from Western University, and then outside of the state, from Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor and Lindsey Wilson, Huntington. I mean, just so many colleges. I mean, over 300 colleges before it was all done. But you had such a alter perspective with these young adults. And what were some of the themes, would you say, of the Holy Spirit work that was happening in their lives? It was clear that God was doing work around suicidal ideation and anxiety and mental health, sometimes supernatural. Sometimes it was just the first time that a student would say it out loud, which then has led them to go to counseling or led them to pursuing medical help. Like, that's what's amazing. I know of students who were healed of anxiety, and I know students that were finally felt comfortable they could say it out loud and now are using medication and both are beautiful you know so you have that but I think the thing that I was uniquely moved by was the amount of confidence and and calling forth that happened at the altar the amount of emerging leaders who said I can lead like I'm not gonna wait for Sarah I'm not gonna wait for Greg I'm not gonna wait for Kevin I'm not gonna wait for Zach I'm not gonna I'm gonna go back to campus I'm gonna lead I'm gonna lead in our churches like the amount of students who have stepped up to lead in confidence you know we have students here at Asbury who are walking in a new level of authority and confidence that's profound that is only because they have encountered the spirit it's not because they've taken a great class we've had great classes here for a long time it's not because they went to a great conference there's always been good conferences but something happened that has called forth that student to walk in authority and walk in rooms and use her voice there's something that happened in that student who stood up and preached about death to self with authority and anointing that like you just haven't experienced and it called them up and called them forth and said it's time and this is really biblical when we look yes. at scripture we see that god uses emerging adults young people whether it's the story of joseph or the story of esther or of mary god uses young people time and time again david the story of david The beautiful graveyard image is probably one of my favorites, and it came in the first couple of days of the outpouring. One of our students shared in a testimony that 
as he was in Hughes, he really felt the Lord leading him to a place of full surrender, to die into self. He said he turned around and he knelt at his wooden chair, and that chair became his tombstone. And so when he got up from that place, he was no longer his own. Like, he had died to himself, and Christ now lived fully in him. And as he was sharing that, I looked out over Hughes. I just remember the Lord giving me this picture of, like, what if this became a beautiful graveyard of tombstones everywhere, of men and women fully surrendering to Christ and dying to themselves. And I remember I got up and I said, God is making this a beautiful graveyard. And that image has just stuck with me of Hughes being that place where people were dying to themselves so that Christ could live in them. And not just Hughes, but anywhere the gospel was being preached in those days, a seminary and the churches, across social media, we could just see this beautiful graveyard of people who were dying to themselves so that Christ might fully live in them. And the way to life is through death in ourselves and into our preferences and to our desires and to our will. Students are profoundly transformed by what they are experiencing in Jesus. And not just Asbury students, but students from all over the region. Soon multitudes of students from over 300 universities and colleges will join us, along with thousands of other people from around the country and even around the world. How do they find out about it? How do they show up? And what happens when they do? How does the Asbury team make decisions, discern what God is doing, cover logistics, and more as the revival rapidly scales. Over the next weeks, we'll go behind the scenes to see what was happening on campus and in the Wilmore community. Asher, if there's someone out there listening to this and they find themselves like you did in the dark and just stuck in shame and sin, what do you want to say to them? I would say that the idea and the process of working through that, it's hard, but it's so worth it. It is so easy to try to handle it on our own. It is so easy to think that I'm too far gone. There's nothing that the Lord can do that I'm not worth saving. And I want to say to that person that that's the lies of the enemy in your head. That's not what scripture says. That's not what the truth says. And that's not real. That the Lord looks at you and he smiles. He doesn't just think about you and like you, but the Lord loves you. That the Lord and Jesus looks at you as a brother or a sister and is overjoyed at the thought of you coming to him. So my encouragement and the words I would say to that is Jesus is there, that he's so, so close to you. We sang in chapel today, uh, the song communion, that he's closer in our skin. He's closer than the air that we breathe in, that he's in our hearts. He's living with inside of us, that he wants to take that sin. He wants to take those burdens. He wants to take that thing that you're struggling with, and he wants to just give you such a better way. Following Jesus doesn't eliminate problems, but following Jesus gives us a way to handle the problems. It gives us a way to deal with it in a way that brings joy, that brings love, that brings peace. It might be hard, but Jesus, he's faithful. He is faithful to the faithless. What an amazing thing that is. He's there for you and that he was there for me. He changed my life and there is not a single thought in my mind that makes me think that he can't or he won't change yours. I have not heard a lot of those stories, Sarah. That's so wonderful to hear them told. Now, a year later, kind of looking back, it still feels like yesterday. 
listening to these stories again, it just takes me right back there. I can't wait to hear what else we're going to be able to dig up from behind the scenes. I'm so glad that you shared these. And you have some more stories that you're sharing in a book that's coming out pretty soon called Generation Awakened, an eyewitness account of the powerful outpouring of God at Asbury. Tell us a little bit about that book, Sarah. I'm really excited about it. I share really in memoir style what I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears over those days. And it's been a real gift to get to step back into what was happening in those days. And I'm really excited for it to bear witness to the work of God in the world. Join us again next time. I'm